The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It's Friday, and that means it's American Godzilla. <laughs> oh, oh boy, we've, we've been waiting for this one, haven't we? It has been looming in the foreground, getting ever so closer <laughs> and closer and closer as we get closer and closer and closer. Although... Uh- we we've come off of the uh, the rebirth of Mothra movies, and uh, those are like pretty commercially crass films. Like they're really uh, pandering to a really young audience. So why not just pander to the American audience? That's kind of what we're where we're at with this Godzilla. Oh, uh, I'm yeah, Whitney the, by the, the way. Context that's, has been that's, weird. That's, that's oh, William. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's Whitney Seibold. I'm William Bibiani. We're both film critics, and this is Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It's our podcast where. We're going through exploring, revisiting, reviewing every single Godzilla and Godzilla adjacent film uh, ever made. Uh, mm-hmm. It has been an interesting journey as we've uh, watched not just all of the original Godzilla movies, but also all the movies that included monsters or other elements that would eventually cross over with Godzilla in one way or another. Uh, Godzilla has already been rebooted Uh in the Heisei era, and then that reboot had run its course. That Godzilla died. And Toho, in, in a very generous gesture, basically said, hey, Americans, yeah, you you want to make a Godzilla movie, you can make a Godzilla movie, and we're actually going to take a step back from making Godzilla movies a little bit to give you some room to breathe. And... And this... And they... Uh, not just one... Uh, TriStar Pictures is going to make three Godzilla gonna, movies. That was the original plan. Everything's got to be a trilogy. And the the journey that Godzilla 1998 took from conception to screen was pretty circuitous. And it's worth noting that that's not unusual for any project in Hollywood. And as we've discussed in a lot of episodes of the show... It's not unusual for Godzilla. A lot of different Godzilla movies started out with completely different ideas, completely different plots, completely different monsters. Godzilla was going to fight a ghost Godzilla once, which, which would have been awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. But uh, uh, the point is, fair enough. Uh, the uh, One of the uh, original uh, uh, versions that they were working on uh, was going to be directed by Jan de Bont, 
uh, who had made Speed, which was a huge uh, part of the expression, runaway hit. Uh, and his version of Godzilla apparently was going to eschew the atomic monster angle. Godzilla okay. was going to be a monster created by Atlantis to fight a griffin. So, like, just a full-on fantasy picture. Yeah, which, honestly, aside from get, uh, ignoring the nuclear power stuff, isn't that much weirder than a lot of stuff Godzilla's already done. But Stan yeah. Winston was apparently going to work on that. That fell through. I I'm, I would be very curious. I, to the best of my knowledge, I don't know if anyone's ever really interviewed them about it, but apparently they had talked to... They were never officially attached to the project, as far as I can tell. Tim Burton, which would have uh -huh. been a very interesting version of Godzilla. Which, I, and I, I think it would have been really interesting, um, although Tim Burton has definitely seen Godzilla movies. Oh, sure. I mean, everybody has, but I, I imagine Tim Burton's a pretty big fan. Definitely. And and again, this is around the time when he was making something like Mars Attacks, so he was into impish destruction. Yeah, it might have actually worked. Great. Another uh, director they apparently had talked to, and I want to visit the universe where this happened. <laughs> I can live without seeing the Tim Burton version. I can live without seeing the Yondabad version. But if I found out there was some kind of multiverse gateway and we didn't go to the reality where Clive Barker directed a Godzilla movie in oh the 1990s, God. can you what, what, imagine... There would be a scene in a Clive Barker Godzilla movie. There would be a scene where like two Godzillas have sex. Like it would be the sexiest Godzilla we've ever seen. Yeah, but sexy, but also like really disturbing. Like they'd, mm -hmm. they'd be bleeding at the same time, or they'd be puking fluids. Clive Barker was a lot on was big on fluids. Yeah, like I can. It's weird because like I can almost imagine asking David Cronenberg to do it because he'd done The Fly and that was a big hit. But Clive Barker, he. You did Hellraiser and Nightbreed and Lord of Illusions, and you were just like, yeah, Godzilla, let's do it. And I applaud you, whoever came up with the idea to even talk to him about it. Kudos for thinking outside the box. That would have been phenomenal. But it didn't happen. It wasn't working out. Uh, it ended up going to uh, Roland Emmerich. Uh, Roland Emmerich had already been on a bit of a hot streak. He had made a couple of small-scale genre movies that have mostly been forgotten there's one about like a couple of like young entrepreneurs who meet a ghost and i don't even remember the rest of the stuff that happens in that movie uh oh, but it, it, yeah. it, i think it was called ghost chase i think that was the title that sounds that sounds close to it yeah i it's a strange film but he attached himself to a couple of surprisingly good and surprisingly profitable sci-fi action movies uh, starting with universal soldier which is still one of jean-claude van damme's better movies uh, i haven't seen a... universal soldier oh really I, no it's pretty good I, it's yeah pretty good. I, I caught I, up with uh with I, i've seen ghost chase but i caught up with roland emmerich uh like most americans with the movie stargate yeah stargate was uh, after universal soldier which is about um Vietnam vets who died in the war and they were brought back to life as zombie terminators and then one of them gets his memories back and decides to rebel again better than it sounds pretty cool movie actually that led to a film called Stargate and Stargate became a massive TV franchise which is pretty cool but 
the basic premise, and this is something that Roland Demmerg would return to in a lot of his movies, is that some kind of urban legend conspiracy theory turns out to be true. And in this case, it's what if aliens built the Egyptian pyramids? Yeah. And they it's, find it's stylish a, a portal. and well made, yeah. but it's it's yeah. a pretty dumb story. It's 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 absolute nonsense from top to bottom, but it's it's rather well constructed. It's got a really good cast. It's got uh, Kurt Russell, uh, James Spader, James Spader, uh, yeah, yeah. Was it is it Jay Davidson who had just been in uh, the Crying Game? Uh, um, yes, I believe so. Yeah, and awesome role there. Um, it, it's it's again the concept is malarkey, but it plays well. Like it actually like is just a rousing adventure in and of itself, and it was a big hit. Then he he did it again. It's like, hey, what if Area Fifty One was real and there are aliens out there and they came back for their stuff and blew stuff up? Independence Day and Independence Day was. Oh, I, was, I don't even know if I can even articulate how big Independence Day was. Oh, it it would, uh, yeah, it was it was more than merely massive. It was like massive, massive. It was it it, it turned uh, uh, Will Smith from a popular you know musician and actor into a superstar. Uh, it solidified Jeff Goldblum as like one of the top box office draws, which nobody saw coming. Uh, he had already done Jurassic Park, and but this is like, oh yeah, well, we do, it's just Jeff Goldblum. Everyone sees Jeff yeah. Goldblum movies. <laughs> when did that happen? Uh, and and it's again, it's also malarkey, but it is a rousing good time, and it's one of those movies where you watch it at home, you might be amused, but if you see this in a theater, people just get energized by it. It's weird. Yeah, what what I found really curious about, um, it, it's just sort of a, a good sign of our changing times about Independence Day. Uh, the selling point was this really uh, wonderful glory shot. And they put this in the teaser trailer of an alien craft hovering above the White House and yep. firing a gigantic space laser right into the roof and blowing up the entire building. Uh, I remember when they finally cut it into the movie, I guess they thought that was too violent. So they put an exploding helicopter in front of it. To sort yeah, of just block to... the destruction a little bit. It's like oh, the... I don't know if it blocks the destruction. It just adds like another like foreground element. I, you got to say this for Roland Emmerich, and I don't think Godzilla is the best example of this, but mm. Roland Emmerich knows how to stage epic destruction. He's got oh, absolutely. a painterly eye for it. You look at the way that even people who are renowned for this kind of thing, like Michael Bay, the way that they stage chaos, violence, explosions is about sort of putting you in like, oh, I'm so rattled. He, Roland Emmerich wants you to feel like you're looking at like an epic Renaissance painting of like a really cool thing that happened in the Bible. Like he's just like, you're just, <laughs> it's it's not just a, 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 you know, the the Empire State Building blows up. And it's it's got to blow up from the perfect angle and it's glowing like turquoise from within and... It looks phenomenal. There's just no denying it. And mm. this is, again... He had, quite, he had a certain yeah. knack for a, a certain kind of pop filmmaking that yeah. still functions today. Yeah. I'll, and, I'll, I'll and, give him that much. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I think our attitude for... I, I think if you had... It, it would have been interesting to show, like, Independence Day to some like someone who, like, had been born... 
shortly before or after 9-11 because mm. after that scenes of that kind of destruction and devastation in movies they happened but they, they had vogue though they they had a very different tone when they did happen it yeah, was yeah. it wasn't like even in the avengers because it's cool that they're all like running around new york city and fighting monsters and stuff but it's not cool that the monsters are breaking stuff Mm. There's a certain giddy glee, and in a way, as you've pointed out many times, there is a certain childish uh, 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 joy to Godzilla stomping around stuff and breaking it. Yeah. So on, on paper, Roland Emmerich doing a Godzilla movie sounds like a pretty good idea. Apparently, well, the problem is yeah. he, he took the same approach to Godzilla as he did to Independence Day, and he turned it into sort of a, an Irwin Allen-style international disaster picture. Yeah. Uh, and the problem with that is we don't get anything from this movie with Godzilla as a character. Godzilla yeah. is just an... More than ever before, is just an animal in this one. In fact... Um, mm. Roland Emmerich redesigned Godzilla to have this like big lower square jaw. It hunches over more like a lizard, uh, yeah. you know, with sort of a suspended tail. It, um, it's based less on a dinosaur and more on an iguana. Uh, yeah, and yeah. apparently, apparently, that really strong, muscular jaw that this version of Godzilla has, which will eventually be renamed Zilla. So I'm going to try to remember to call it Zilla as much as possible. Yeah, but Zilla's weirdly like muscular jaw was apparently inspired by the design of Shere Khan in the Jungle Book. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's I interesting. I, I wish they'd given God, uh, Zilla as much personality as Shere Khan because you're right, and this was a conscious effort they apparently made to do something different. And they, 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 we've got that other Godzilla. Our Godzilla is going to be a territorial animal which means that you can kind of sympathize with it, but it's still dangerous, which, again, on paper, kind of makes sense. But mm -hmm. we know, we form no meaningful connection with this monster. And unfortunately, the cast of characters, the Irwin Allen cast of characters that uh, he has assembled out of, you know, you can't afford Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I can get you, like, five Matthew Brodericks. You know, right. like that's where the budget will go. So Matthew Broderick, not a bad get, but like you get a Matthew Broderick, you get a Jean Renault, you get a Hank Azaria, like you get a bunch of recognizable actors and they're all mostly joke characters. So we're not connecting with Godzilla and we're not connecting with the characters. Yeah. So nothing about it. This is, you know, like because Godzilla minus one treats Godzilla like an animal as well, but we really connect with the characters. Mm. that's not happening here. It's a big miscalculation. And even Dean Devlin, who uh, had wrote a lot of those earlier movies with Roland Emmerich and co-wrote this script, uh, even Dean Devlin said that was a mistake. Uh, yeah, they, they tried yeah. to turn it into a, a little bit more of like a comedy film. And it's and like a lot of American blockbusters. And I think, um, you know, the, the 90s had a lot of big hits, but it wasn't a wonderful time for, like, gigantic tentpole blockbusters. It just wasn't the era for it. And, uh... Yeah, as we such, had, we I had some like, noteworthy ones. 
I, I suppose we had stuff like uh, Mission Impossible, which you know seems mm. positively trim by today's standards. We had effects based blockbusters like Twister, which was a big yeah. hit, but is you know pretty thin idea. I Armageddon think, came well, out the same year as this. It was the highest grossing movie of the year, if memory serves. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm sure there aren't too many people out there who will defend the quality of Armageddon. There are actually um, a lot of people who would defend the quality of Armageddon. That movie is weirdly popular. Uh, amongst whom? Uh, again, Alonzo Duralde. <laughs> them film to critic me. Extra- film critic extraordinaire Alonzo Duralde has a great line. Is it great or were you eight? Yeah, yeah. Now, I think there's a certain... And you've never actually seen Armageddon, so I'm going to... I've not I'm seen gonna, Armageddon. I'm going to tell you to shut your mouth for one second here, and I'm going to say this right now. I actually have a soft spot for Armageddon because I saw it with my dad, and there... I mean, it's maudlin melodrama like it's hokey it's like look at those look at those heroes walk to that you know space shuttle in slow motion <laughs> but and I'm I, I'm I at the time I'm rolling my eyes at it I'm amused but I'm rolling my eyes at it and then I turn over and I see my dad and he's gotten weirdly swept up into it and he's got a tear in his eye and I'm Aww. like okay I can never be mad at Armageddon now it got my dad who is not an easy <laughs> mark so I can't have any uh, animosity towards it but yeah that movie has a fan base of people who appreciate just how ridiculous and over the top it is. Godzilla 1998 doesn't. Godzilla 1998, by the way, third highest grossing movie of 1998. Uh, internationally, yeah, yeah. Internationally, but th- that's what it wasn't counts, a big isn't hit it? They don't here just, in they the don't just States. stop. They don't. They don't reject the money if it doesn't come from the United States. Yeah, like yeah. It, it, when you talk about domestic versus international, it's just talking about how popular it is with domestic audiences. The studio is very happy if it makes money wherever. Right, right, right. So, and so this movie actually did turn a profit. wasn't as big a hit as they had hoped, but it did turn a profit. It was the third highest grossing movie after Armageddon and Saving Private Ryan, which okay. is a good company to be in. Um, but it nobody liked it. Nobody respected it. Nobody was a okay, fan terrible of it. Reviews. Nobody yeah, yeah. was clamoring for it. The toys weren't selling. They went to see it. You tricked them. You got their money, and then they were kind of mad about it. Um, I found this interesting quote from Roland Emmerich, and I, I, I wish I could find like the whole uh, interview. But he was talking about how he had been offered Godzilla and. It was like an unprecedented good offer for a filmmaker to get. Like, I don't know if it was a lot of money or whatever, but like, or a lot on the back end, but it's like, it's the kind of thing you can't just turn down. Okay. And so he said, so what I did was I completely changed the monster so that instead of having anything to do with Godzilla, it looked like an iguana. And then Toho said, no, actually, we're fine with that. You can to- If Hollywood has a totally different Godzilla, ours is like its own thing. That's actually great. And when mm-hmm. Roland Emmerich heard that, apparently he said, shit. <laughs> like, it's, it sounds like he was actively trying to sabotage it. Like, if I can get myself fired, oh, that's no. probably better. <laughs> And oh, apparently sorry, the, production was, the production was rushed. Apparently they were trying to meet a Memorial Day uh, uh, release date. Uh, so it was... And, and on top of it all, they made this weird decision. Like, aesthetically, it's not really a problem necessarily, but they made a very complicated decision that makes the entire movie take place in a rainstorm. Yeah, that, which you, this... You well, can't this has fake. To do That's with... just a lot of water pouring on the actors for months. Apparently, I think his yeah, area and... got really sick. And this goes to uh, sort of um, the unfortunate trend of just unbinding special effects. 
Uh, this was keep in mind. This was after Titanic, so this was like special effects had reached a new level at this point. There's a lot of a lot more digital effects going on, and uh, and I feel like when special effects sort of reached a certain level of like digital proficiency, it just, just could could make really realistic images. Uh, a lot of filmmakers started to push into that a little harder, and writing started to suffer. Uh, and there were a lot of just really crummy blockbusters that had really wonderful special effects, but really terrible scripts. Independence Day is another one of those things. It's an efficient script. Yeah. It has setups and payoffs. It's just dumb. It's not a creative yeah. story. It's not great characters. Uh, this is, it, however, a, a really this is an interesting time though because although we were starting to move into that CG era, a lot of these movies, Independence Day as well, still had a lot of practical effects. Yeah, that today yeah. they wouldn't be. Like there's there's when Zilla uh, lays a bunch of eggs later in the movie and then they pop out of their eggs and it's just a bunch of like nine foot tall Godzilla velociraptors because Jurassic Park was a big hit. Uh, when they're not like running around, those things are practical and they look pretty cool. They look all right. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, not saying they look that like cool monsters, digital. You know, like, I'm not like you know practical all the way. I'm not one of those guys. Um, I, I was when I was in my twenties, but I outgrew it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, but again, the, the, uh, the CGI was in its, like, its infancy here. And so one of the, I, I think, I don't know if this is true, but I remember hearing that, like, one of the reasons why Godzilla took place, like, a lot in at night was to hide the fact that, you know, CG flesh or scales didn't quite look right. Okay. You know, so, like, you're hiding yeah, it in yeah. the shadows a little bit. It might it might have facilitated that a bit. I, I don't know 100% if that's true, but it feels like it because whenever we see any sort of me any sort of shot of cg zilla for a meaningful length of time it doesn't look good it doesn't look as bad as it could but it also doesn't look good yeah yeah um, uh the um we also have to uh, take a second to talk about the the film's ad campaign because uh, that thing was really mm. ubiquitous it was everywhere and it was effective mm. um, oh yeah it was inescapable they, yeah, they didn't want to show the monster in any of the ad campaigns, which I think was wise. Uh, mm. You know, keep the monster kind of a secret. It, yeah. There's a, a an old rule about monster filmmaking that you don't show your monster for at least 30 minutes. I think in this movie it's like over an hour before we see Godzilla. Well, there's uh, Godzilla action. There's a, We see Godzilla's tail, we see its legs, yeah. but we don't get the, like, like a the hero actual shot of Godzilla shot. for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the ad campaign was all about for the, the tagline was size does matter, which was a little crass even at the it's time. Ch- it's cheeky and though. You got you kind of you, you it, can appreciate that. Okay, so we're going to have a fun time, are we? Okay, good. Yeah. I remember and there's a there's a wonderful teaser out there from a, a scene that was not in the movie of uh, some kids touring a museum and uh, they were looking at a, a dinosaur skeleton, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, yeah. and they kept hearing these booming noises and the entire museum started to shake and then Godzilla's foot, much, much larger than the Tyrannosaurus, burst in through the ceiling and stomped on it. Yeah. It was this big kind of animal foot. So that was all we saw of Godzilla was a foot or a tail. Yeah, and, that, uh, we, that's a great teaser. It's a great that teaser. teaser. Th- that audiences responded to that teaser. That teaser was yeah, yeah. huge, and it was and it was shot apparently just for the trailer. There was yeah, another. Yeah, yeah. There's another part of the movie that they released as a trailer as well, without like yeah, no big montages or anything. They just released the scene, but this scene was actually in the movie of an old man walking down a pier in New oh, York yeah, City yeah. 
with a fishing rod and a couple of like, I don't know, like vagrants or whatever, you know, joking at him, like, you're never going to catch anything. And he's like, I don't know. It's a, the ocean. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't I don't know, know why they're the making fun of him. Like, it's possible, right? So he, he puts down a little chair, he throws out his fishing rod, and then he gets a little bite. And then it speeds off out to sea, and it yanks out of his hand, and then the ocean rises, and it's like yeah. a giant tidal wave coming towards him, and he's running down the pier, and then, boom, Godzilla. A fun bit in and of itself, even though it makes no sense whatsoever, because how was Godzilla just right under that pier, biting that fish hook? And then swimming out another hundred yards to swim back in before anyone noticed. It yeah, doesn't the, track, but if, it's fun to watch, though. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm okay with with that teaser just because uh, just because it's a fun scene. It keeps the mystery alive. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the billboards uh, for Godzilla set, in addition to saying size does matter, compared like physical landmarks to Godzilla's oh, body parts. Like there was that. yeah. So you could see something on the side of a bus that says like his his foot is the size of this bus. His eye is the size of this billboard. It was all about Godzilla's size. Yeah. Which is there's a bit of an irony there because the actual size of this Godzilla is smaller than <laughs> uh than any of the previous Godzilla movies. Yeah, yeah, it, it that which is which is very ironic. They apparently had to ask, and they got agreements from literally hundreds of companies that had some kind of merchandising tie-in with Godzilla to not show Godzilla. Okay, that's a, that's a big ask. Taco Bell, where and you can see people eating Taco Bell in the movie, so they got their money's worth. Oh, really? I hadn't noticed all of the Taco Bell. <laughs> They apparently spent $20 million on a Godzilla ad campaign. Just Taco yeah. Bell. Uh, at the time, Taco Bell had a mascot, which they have. I can't remember the last time they used this guy. It was like 20 years ago, at least. Um, was it the Chihuahua? It was a little Chihuahua. And oh. the Chihuahua would find itself in one wacky situation after another. And then it would say, Yokiro Taco Bell. Mm. And... It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I could go for some Taco Bell. I, I, I like burritos. And then that would that's that's the vibe in the Taco Bell Godzilla commercial. The the little Chihuahua was like trying to catch Godzilla, but it had like a box with a stick and a string like a little rascal short. Uh -huh. And when he sees Godzilla off camera, he says, oh, I'm going to need a bigger box. Yeah. And you know what? That was cute. I'm not going to lie. I, it was, it was I remember he said, here, here, lizard, lizard. We're talking about this because <laughs> this this ad campaign was more more what this movie was about than what's actually going on in the movie itself. It's more inventive uh, than the movie. Like, they actually put some real effort into it. Mm. Like, they, they, they really, which is, and but here's the thing. Here's the thing, the irony I was just thinking about is that. We're we're celebrating this ad campaign because this is like the fun part. This is the part that people remember. Uh, the first sign of trouble was the opening weekend. They projected this thing to make like a hundred million dollars, and it came in well under that. Oh, it made so like the, seventeen or eighteen million. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't the no, hit they it, wanted? It, it didn't do that low. I think I think it did better than that. But like it it was not hitting the numbers they projected, and it was not a cheap movie. So. 
it's one of those situations where it's it, it, when you actually look at the numbers, it can be hard to figure out studio economic logic. Like, remember when Spider-Man three came out and everyone's like, oh, this is like a huge bomb. Like nobody liked it. It was the highest grossing film of that year. Yeah, it, 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 it made it just more money so much to make. Yeah, yeah, it made more money. I think even before inflation than like Batman v Superman did like it. People wanted to see it. They weren't a huge fan, but they wanted to see it. It did well. The problem is, is that especially when you're talking about a tentpole, you're putting a ton of money into advertising and you're, you're putting the entire hopes of the studio on this movie, not just performing well, not just making a profit. You're hoping it will overperform. Yeah. You're hoping yeah. it's going to catch fire and become a zeitgeist. And if it comes in under that level, then you panic and then you, you know, you, you get Joss Whedon to redirect Justice League and you've screwed up everything. Uh, here, they just canceled some movies. They they weren't already in production on something, and you know, thank God. But um, <laughs> So even though Godzilla did okay, it was still a disappointment, which is weird irony and yeah, whatever. Well, and, yeah, it, and it's it, hard it, to... It, well, and it, I think a big error that the American studios made was staging this as this ultra-mega blockbuster, Godzilla. Yeah. Um, Godzilla had been a big part of uh, American popular culture for a long time. It had come over to America you know, back in the 50s, so people knew Godzilla just all over the world. Yeah. And look at the Godzilla movies, all of the ones we've seen, even the more yeah. elaborate ones. They're... There's like s some heft to them. They clearly, you know, had they had guys in suits stomping on sets. They were all practically made. Uh, the 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 more recent ones, the Mothra films, uh, notwithstanding. Yeah, those are those are different entities. Yeah. Uh, and they made money, but they didn't ever were overwhelming successes. They were never gigantic, top-grossing films of the year kind of movies. Yeah. And they were never made for that much money. They were, you know, they had a, a decent special effects budget, but they weren't, you know, fetching the A amounts of dollars. They weren't well, know, getting the it, huge checks. So, yeah, I don't know what it was about what TriStar was trying to do in that they got the Godzilla name. Probably cost them a lot because Toho is yeah. pretty stingy about that. So, OK, you want to put some money into it. But why isn't this? A sort of mid-budget film, yeah, about a, a guy in a suit, you know, an American version of this thing stomping yeah. around. Why did you have to spend so much money? Why did you have to get this huge like panoply of character actors to do this really bizarre comedy in the middle of yeah. all of this Godzilla stuff? And why did you have to make it? two hours and 18 minutes in length. Yeah, this is the like, longest Godzilla every, movie I've seen. Yeah, by a substantial margin, it's the longest one. And, yeah. and it keeps it, ending, I, too. Like, it ends, like, three times. And it's like, oh, okay, so mm -hmm. we're good. And then it's like, nope, whole new subplot just rose up. No! <laughs> I don't want to go to Madison Square Garden. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, though. It, it is a miscalculation, because Godzilla, again, it, Godzilla was a pop culture presence like everyone knew godzilla mm -hmm. you know buying the right to something that like to make a movie out of something that everybody knows and people generally like makes sense but 
Godzilla hadn't been a hit in America for a while. Like the more recent Godzilla movies had gone straight to video. Yeah. Like the, these were not drawing big numbers and, but you know, they, they, they tried anyway. And I think, I think part of the problem is that they got Roland Emmerich. And again, that's no particular shade to Roland Emmerich and the director who's made some bad movies, but a lot of movies I like, um, he had a way of making things. They didn't just want a Godzilla movie. They wanted the next Independence Day. So yeah, they yeah. framed it as the next Independence Day. And Independence Day had that whole, oh, look at how epic this movie is going to be. Look at all this destruction. So they framed the marketing around the same motif. They they structured the movie in the same ensemble cast kind of way. Uh this is so more this Independence Day than it is Godzilla. Yeah, this wasn't a Godzilla film. It was an Independence Day knockoff. And yeah. you didn't need to drag Godzilla's good name through the dirt, sir. Well, they didn't. They dragged Zilla, so it's fine. Uh, that's true. Well, uh, well, well, I think we've mentioned this before, but uh, evidently Toho was so upset with how unpopular this movie was that, first of all, they put the kibosh on that three-film deal right away. Like, no, TriStar, you don't get to make three movies. In fact, I don't know uh, if that was Toho so much as TriStar realizing they couldn't make money on it, but yeah, maybe so. Uh, uh, I forgot what I was getting at here. Um, Oh, you were talking about how Toho wasn't really happy with what happened and how they responded. Oh, which was uh, we're going to take we're we're going to take our toys back and we're going to do our own thing again and we're going to mock this mercilessly. Yeah, and not not just mock it mercil- mercilessly, but they had to go so far as to say, "Oh, that wasn't Godzilla." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this American film they tried to sort of establish its own mythology. Um, there's a Japanese character, like this elderly sailor guy, in the beginning of the movie uh, that Jean Reno is questioning, and he he flicks a lighter in front of this guy, and he says Gojira, and so Godzilla is like a creature that is known, but all of that wacky crap from all of the other movies about, you know, space aliens and other monsters, all that's gone. Mm. Uh, the, the original movie doesn't exist either. Um, and, uh, well, and, and even in the so original, they're, they're trying Gajira, to set up this the, new, the, it was like a term that for like some kind of mythical beast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it, I, I appreciated at the time that at least they tried to address the, um, the mispronunciation that, uh, yeah, American misheard Americans misheard the the word Gojira and mispronounced it as Godzilla. Uh, yeah. So they they invent it, it, uh, a, a news a news reporter who's a buffoon, yeah. uh, and when he steals the story of we've got this eyewitness who called it Gojira, he's the one who mispronounces it, and then unfortunately that catches on. And there's yeah. even a line from Maria Batella who said, "It's Gojira, you idiot." Um, mm. But the, so, yeah, Kevin, yeah, you're kicking to, to, it too there, yeah. So, yeah, they're trying to start this whole new mythology. There are no other Godzilla films. This is a whole new thing. This is a new monster, and this is Godzilla. This is Godzilla Ground Zero. And then Toho said, no, um, all those other monsters are real. Godzilla's a thing. And whatever that creature is, that's not Godzilla. In fact, um, we're just going to call it Zilla. Yeah, because you took uh, the god out of Godzilla. <laughs> And rather famously, uh, this creature will turn up again. It's going to show up in one of the Japanese uh, Godzilla films, Godzilla Final Wars in 2004. pretty soon, actually. We'll get to that in a few weeks. Yeah. The Millennium Era is actually pretty brief. So I think there's only like six movies in the the Millennium Era. It's pretty short. Okay. 
And uh, yeah, the last film of the Millennium Era was called Godzilla Final Wars, and it was meant to be the final, final, final word on Godzilla. Of course. And uh, Godzilla fought every monster you had ever seen before. Like, they're just all back. Yeah. I think that's the one with, like, mega... Gigan, like Gigan comes back, but now has like chainsaw arms and shit. It's like all yeah. kinds of weird stuff. Oh, I'm just glad Gigan's uh, back, honestly, because I love Gigan. Yeah, and and they decided, well, I guess we got to throw in that American Godzilla as well. And uh, they, it was the only uh, creature in the film that was done with CG instead of a, uh, a suit actor. And they also, it's also notoriously the shortest fight in Godzilla history. <laughs> Where Zilla jumps out, Godzilla like picks him up by the throat, slams him down on the Sydney Opera House, and you're done. That creature is dead. And the Sydney Opera House, by the way, that's not entirely incidental. The sequel that they were talking about making to Roland Emmerich's Godzilla would have brought Godzilla to Australia. Oh, that's to fight okay. some other monster. That so that wasn't even like entirely out of nowhere. So that's that's kind of funny. Oh, okay. Um, we should I probably it talk was just sort of like generic exotic location. You know? I mean, I guess it might be a coincidence, but based on my research, the, the Godzilla probably would have wrecked the Sydney Opera House anyway. So who can say? Um, we should probably talk about the actual movie. Um, which honestly, I'm going to tell you this right now. I have a weird relationship with my opinion on this movie. Mm-hmm. I saw, I realized I just said we're going to talk about the movie and now I'm going through an anecdote. I just run with it. (laughs) You you know what podcast (laughs) you're listening to. Um, I saw this opening weekend. Saw it with a friend of mine. It was the first movie they'd ever seen at the Cinerama Dome. Oh, okay. uh, Which is, you know, literally a huge theater here in Los Angeles and they would show films in Cinerama. So the screen was like enormously wide. Uh, and it was a great experience. The place was packed. It was a sold out house. People were like, I'd never seen this before. They were like, you know, there were, there were beach balls bouncing around. Just the whole energy was great. And the movie aired and it was nonsense. I don't think anyone really loved it, but we all had a good time watching it. It had this kind of raucous grindhouse theater in the seventies kind of vibe. It doesn't really matter what we're seeing as long as it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Which I appreciate. And I left, and I was still pretty high on it, and they had a thing they used to do for new release movies that they were concerned about the word of mouth. Okay. They would do commercials with people leaving the theater saying what a good time they just had. They wouldn't do this for every movie. They did this for movies when they were worried about word of mouth. You could tell because they wouldn't do these commercials, and then would have like a a milk toast opening weekend, and then all of a sudden these commercials would come out. (laughs) <laughs> so somewhere in Sony's database, I don't think they ever used it. Somewhere in Sony's database, somewhere in the archives, they have video of me and my friend <laughs> saying Godzilla kicks asphalt. Wow. Wow. I've never that's, admitted that before, but that's true. It's pretty special. It is. <laughs> I, I don't know. Somewhere, somewhere out there, there's footage of that. Um, so I had a reason, but I was high on it at the time, but it was, it was nonsense, but I reasonably enjoyed it. But over time I realized mm. that wasn't a very good movie. It was, it was, it was kind of, no. it was kind of insipid and you know, my taste evolved from that mm. point on. And, uh, I, I had rewatched it once or twice since, and it's not good, but yeah, I hadn't I rewatched didn't... it in at least 10 years until today. Okay. I, it's not as bad as I remember. 
Well, it's 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 one of those things where um, we were talking about this recently. How um, a film, if it's like a financial fiasco, it feels like more of a disappointment. Uh, if you learn that they spent, you know, $175 million, $400 million on a movie, and yeah. and it turns out to be, like, really terrible, that's going to be worth your time. If it turns out to be good, that's going to be worth your time. If it's merely okay, that's kind of the worst yeah. thing it can be. And yeah, You had to go through uh, and, all that effort to make no impression. Yeah, the, we, we uh, talked about... Um, the latest Indiana Jones film, which was so expensive to make. We talked about Waterworld, same deal. And I think that's what's going on with Godzilla. It's not a, a, a complete fiasco. It's not terrible, but it is mediocre and it is uninteresting. Yeah. And, uh, and that somehow makes it all the more disappointing. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they're shooting for humor, but they never really make you laugh that they have a lot of impressions, impressive scenes of destruction, but it's like at night in the rain, so it doesn't have like kind of exhilarating quality. There's no, none of that little boy crashing toys into building toys kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, which is really unfortunate. Uh, and they also try to make it a lot about the human drama, and the human drama isn't that interesting either. Uh, well, the main no real characters, drama in it. Yeah, the main it's character like... is played by Matthew Broderick. He's a, a biologist who's studying uh, wildlife at Chernobyl. And he's called by the government to go study, uh, I think it's in Panama, he's taken to Panama, so it's a globe-trucking adventure. Uh, yeah, because Godzilla's got to some... get, they, they say that Godzilla, like in a lot of versions, was created in the Pacific Isles uh, due to nuclear testing. Specifically in this movie, they do say it, it was France. Um, <laughs> so in the opening credits, we see, you know, Mushroom Cloud on an island and a bunch of iguanas going, huh, you don't see that every day. And then... <laughs> Some and then Godzilla decides to make the really weird trek from the like the middle of the Pacific Ocean to New York City. Like at the very least in the original Godzilla movies, Japan was like the closest country <laughs> to where right. Godzilla was <laughs> created. Here he's gotta go literally halfway around the planet <laughs> just to go to New York. But uh yeah, he he's called to uh, examine evidence of some kind of he's in a giant footprint uh, he meets some wacky characters there's a paleontologist played by Vicky Lewis who was on news radio at the time and I had a big crush on Vicky Lewis so I was like <laughs> yay Vicky Lewis all she gets to do is sexually harass Matthew Broderick and then not do anything it's a disappointment um, yeah pretty much yeah. but um, yeah so he's the character and this is very common in Roland Emmerich joints Nick Tatopoulos is the name of the character. I think he's named after one of the uh, designers uh, who like created this version of Godzilla. Um, he's the everyman who's always right. They've got all of these systems, all of these bureaucracies, the entire might of the American military, and they're all ineffectual, and none uh -huh. of them know what they're doing. But there's one every the man. instinct of one one brave, intelligent, yeah, super guy. Yeah, one, one normal Joe schmo. You know, like you, you in the audience. You're not the president. Who you are is Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day. Who you are is Matthew Broderick in uh, uh, in Godzilla. So 
every single thing Matthew Broderick does or says is the right thing to do. Mm. He will solve every problem. And even when it makes no sense for people not to believe him, people will not believe him because that's supposed to like engineer some kind of drama, but really he's just God's gift to this movie. (laughs) Um, Matthew Broderick's fine in it. He's not doing anything wrong. It's just a weird, not particularly well-drawn character. Um, He has an ex-girlfriend played by Maria Patillo, uh, who this was supposed to be her big breakout role. Yeah, I I hadn't heard of her before this movie. She'd done some TV. I'm trying to remember what I'd actually known her from, and the fact that I can't think of it offhand tells you just how little impact this movie had on shooting her into superstardom. Uh, but I did know who she was at the time. Uh, she had oh she'd played Mary Pickford in Chaplin. Okay. Uh, she had she had uh, small roles in True Romance and Natural Born Killers. Uh, she was in that weird um, kind of postal service Christmas movie, Dear God. Uh, oh, so, I saw that one. Yeah. So, and she'd done a lot of TV. She was like she seemed like a star on the rise. This was going to be her big breakout thing. It's not really her fault, but she's also not really overcoming the material. Um, but she plays... Well, it's uh, such crappy material. Let's give her some credit. No, no, I'm giving her credit, but, like, you know, it, it, I think, you know, it's possible that maybe, you know, like, uh, like Julia Roberts could have made something out of this through sheer star power. But if you're not Julia Roberts, you're not mm. going to shine through this material. Uh, she plays uh, his college girlfriend. They dated for four years. She ghosted him for eight years, like not even a note, uh, because she wanted to pursue a career and didn't want to settle down. And she has been working at a TV station in New York City for Harry Shearer, who is constantly sexually harassing her and and impeding her progress in her career. But she wants to be an on-air reporter. And her best friend is a uh, video cameraman played by Hank Azaria, who is doing a very new york accent i mean he's on the simpsons he's he's a voice guy he can do that yeah i i I actually like him in this movie i think he does a good job of being comic relief while also kind of reacting there's a i think my favorite godzilla gag in the movie is when he grabs his camera and even though he's a news cameraman the Mm. one thing he hasn't figured out how to do yet is actually put a video cassette in the machine and close it. Like he really struggles with that for about a solid minute. But when he finally gets it's, the camera up and he, he, he gets the a shot of Godzilla. Can't figure it out. Sure. He finally gets the camera up and he's right next to Godzilla. Godzilla's like looming on him and Godzilla puts his foot down and he's going, no. And then we see him like get crushed by the foot and the foot stays there for like a solid second and a half. And then it lifts up as Godzilla walks away. And it turns out he was between Godzilla's toes. That's right. He barely made it. And he has this little moment where he just kind of freaks out about that. And he actually sells (laughs) that moment really well. He's exactly the kind of character actor you need in a movie like Uh this. Because he knows that, like, it's not his job to just be funny. A lot of the actors in this movie... Their job is just to be funny. He's got to be funny and scared, and he does a good job. Okay, that, that that's fair. I, I yeah. won't impugn Hank Azaria's performance in I, this one. I think uh, I in the cast, I think Matthew... he's the MVP. 
definitely. I, I will impugn Matthew Broderick's performance. He he has such a boring character. Uh, he doesn't really know what to do with a character like this. Yeah. Uh, like, he, he's supposed to have this kind of heroic everyman quality, but Matthew Broderick sort of excels at playing sort of weak-willed or nebbishy characters, and uh, mm. that's kind of the energy he brings to it, which means the lead of this movie is really, really insubstantial. And there's nothing going on in that, like, he... There's no connection between any of the human characters and Godzilla, mm. uh, which isn't always the case. Sometimes Godzilla is just this sort of force of nature, but I don't get that feeling with this Godzilla. This is kind of a lithe, sneaky Godzilla that can, and this part really outrages me, hide. Yeah, There's, that's you know, a, weird. a lot of this rising action, you know, like an hour of rising action, finally gets to New York. Godzilla hides inside of a skyscraper There's a, and yeah. like, leaps out at helicopters in one shot. And... Uh, then disappears for a big portion, and the military yeah. is like combing through New York. Where is this giant monster? No, yeah, <laughs> it's a giant monster, and it's New it needs York to be so City. giant that yeah. Well, and it's New York City as well, which is like you know I know they they evacuated it, but it's still like the most one of the most densely populated places, at least in the hemisphere. Like yeah, you you really there's really nowhere to hide. If if they made Godzilla even smaller, maybe I could have bought that. Like, he could, like, hide in a parking garage somewhere. But then it's yeah. not really the same movie. So they come up with this idea that maybe he can hide, like, inside the husk of a building. There's a pretty cool shot of, like, the MetLife building with a big hole in it, but it's still intact. But the basic gist of it is is they decide he's hiding underground in, like, the subways. Which, um, I don't recall... I've been to the subways in New York City. I don't recall any section that's, like, a hundred feet tall for a while you know like that's just the, yeah. you're going through the subway and there's that one section that's just like a hundred feet tall for like a few miles you know just just um, oh yeah the, for the famous um gi giganto from from the yeah. giganto deco right art school of art design you, you might know, remember you might about. remember that from uh the taking of uh pelham one million two three <laughs> I'd watch the hell out of that movie. <laughs> that sounds great, right? It's the science fiction version. Um, but yeah, they they try to justify, like, they try to come up with a reason, basically. Why would Godzilla go to New York? It makes no sense. And uh, Matthew Braddock, who is, again, right about everything, says... He's nesting. He's Well, he says he's nesting, but he also says, unlike any other city in the world, this is a place where he can hide. And what they're really saying is, they would the... the desperate urge to get Godzilla off camera for extended mm. periods so that their cast of wonderful characters can do their thing. <laughs> it's a vote of no confidence in the Godzilla methodology that what we're here to yeah. see is Godzilla destruction for extended periods. They're trying to show they're, they're trying to and I appreciate pacing. Don't get me wrong. And I think there are definitely Godzilla movies that get a little unwieldy and like go on too long in the fights. But it's it's arbitrary and it's one of many decisions they make about Godzilla the monster that don't really work. Like there's a yeah, whole there, thing. There's so oh, there's so little that works about this movie. Yeah, it's, it's really frustrating because they're clearly putting a lot of time and energy into it, but they're not putting any thought into it, and I hate yeah. that. Even the first time I saw this, and I was actually enjoying it. There's this, there's a scene. Uh, it's after we've got the hero shot of Godzilla. They, there's a 
uh, Matthew Broderick, uh, it's like, how do we get, how do we find it? He says, instead of finding it, we lure it out, we give it food, which is a, a, a perfectly valid idea. And I love when Jean Renault, who plays a French Secret Service agent who's like trying to s destroy Godzilla before the Americans can find out France was responsible, which is a mm. weird thing that <laughs> kind of goes nowhere. Um, he sees that Matthew Broderick has done this and he says, clever no actually like you do that to get a stray cat out of a out of, out of a out of like underneath a shrub like it's not that ingenious but after godzilla comes out uh, eats the fish it, it, eats eats the bait yeah it's a bunch of fish yeah. uh the the military like freak out and they say open fire and they chase godzilla around and honestly there's a moment here which i actually think it's kind of cool where they treat New York City from like when you're as tall as the buildings as kind mm -hmm. of a labyrinth and Godzilla's making all these like sharp corners and it's actually like running away from attack helicopters and yeah, for a yeah. minute I'm like that's really cool but then I also remember that helicopters can ascend they don't <laughs> have to fly in between buildings and risk blowing themselves up, knocking into something. They could just fly higher than the buildings and shoot downward and not lose Godzilla when he takes a hard right. That makes it's it looks cool, but it doesn't it does not yeah, pass well, the smell test. And then they had this thing where it's the, like, sorry, good. Well, it's, it's one of those details that you notice because the movie doesn't have you. Uh, yeah. it, if if it were a really cool sequence, if you know the the missiles were f just they were filming it in an exciting way, and the missiles were hitting Godzilla, and it just like was fun monster action, you wouldn't care that it was implausible. Yeah. But this is a film that is actually going out of its way to add like an element of realism mm -hmm. to the Godzilla movie. They're trying to give some like weight and gravity and animal uh, qualities to the creature. Yeah. So yeah, when it gets ridiculous, it really stands out. There's a there's another thing, and they really call attention to it too, because they're trying to justify why they can't destroy Godzilla, and so the helicopters shoot missiles at Godzilla, and they end up like destroying the Chrysler Building, like they end up like breaking, they destroyed the Daily Bugle Building, um, what's that actual building called again? The which one? The, the Chrysler Daily, Building? No, no, no. The is it the Flatiron? Is that what it is? Oh, the, oh, yeah, that bit, the, the Flatiron building. Yeah, they yeah, destroyed yeah. the Flatiron, but it's where they said the Daily Bugle was in the Spider-Man movies. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but they shoot missiles at it, and the missiles can't lock on because this Godzilla is a reptile. And they say, he's colder than the buildings around him. No. And they can't use their heat-seeking missiles. It's the middle of the night in the rain. Those buildings are not as warm as Godzilla. No. I know it's cold-blooded. That doesn't mean it's Arctic. <laughs> that doesn't make any well, sense whatsoever. Although, wouldn't that have been something if they actually had, like, an Arctic Godzilla? That'd be pretty That'd cool. That'd be cool, right? Like, they'd just lean into that? But no, they don't, they don't really do that. Um, they end up... Uh, uh, ultimately, they, they take another crack at Godzilla. They chase Godzilla into, like, the river. And fortunately, they have a submarine there. And Godzilla, they shoot torpedoes at Godzilla. And Godzilla tricks the torpedoes into hitting another submarine. Because Godzilla understands how that works. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's really unclear how smart Godzilla is in this movie. Uh, I, I just, oh gosh. Um... Because, yeah, in, in most scenes, Godzilla is just an animal doing, like, animal stuff. But in others, it's, like, 
hiding or jumping out at, at helicopters. It's like, it's wait, you calculated that. You understand. Clearly, this animal understands physics. It can solve uh, problems, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Not really thinking and, this and, through. No. I've, and I've. And I just kind of. Uh, this Godzilla is kind of a wimp. We. Uh, hmm. you know, we we've talked a lot about sort of what Godzilla's character is in in the Godzilla movies like what yeah. what kind of uh what kind of guy would Godzilla be if Godzilla was a person and i i've long said that Godzilla is like a bouncer some really mm. tough guy with like a sleeve of tattoos and you know has you know toured with Metallica and has seen a few things man but now yeah. he's like working as a bouncer at your local bar yeah. uh, he's always he lives alone but he's still got a thing for his ex-wife and he never really got over like you know he's, yeah, he's got he's yes. got a past alcoholic but you know functioning yeah uh whereas whereas i feel like this new godzilla is like this this thin-armed weenie guy who you know he the original godzilla hung out with ozzy this guy like went to a nickelback show uh <laughs> like that, that, that's as sophisticated as we can get with this this little wimpy nothing bar patron that uh the original Godzilla would like punch this guy in the throat and throw Boy. him out. This Godzilla, this Godzilla, you know, you, you see him as kind of a weenie and I can appreciate that. My interpretation, especially this time, now that I've mm. seen the full context of all the Godzilla they had to work from. Yeah. I looked at this Godzilla and I thought to myself, and this is going to sound like it's like a subjective like a uh, description of quality. It's not, it's a genuine emotion I have. Mm-hmm. This Godzilla is pathetic. Yeah. Like I pity yeah. this Godzilla, this bit by making this Godzilla, just an animal and making it the victim of nonsensical bureaucracy and making it, it all it's trying to do is lay eggs and propagate its species. Uh, I just feel bad for it, but not like a character but like an animal that's being mistreated. And that's probably not the tone you want to go for in your big blockbuster fun time. No, and it's it's especially ironic given that one of the characters is a biologist who cares about animals and figures yeah. things out and, and figures out that, you know, uh, eventually it's revealed that Godzilla is pregnant and is going to lay a bunch of eggs, but they still refer to uh, Godzilla as he, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, and they, that's weird because they say like, well, they say it produces asexually, but they, they, mm-hmm. they've, they've chose, they've decided it's pronouns for it, I guess. Um, well, I mean, that that's, that's, you know, just run of the mill sexism. Gen- he right. is considered the gender neutral pronoun. But, but, you know, you bring up a good point. There was a cliche even in a lot of uh, sort of genre media about uh, like n- new life forms or aliens or whatever, where uh, there would always be like soldiers who want to destroy it, but there's always the weenie scientist who's like, no, we the, this is a strange new creature. We must protect it. And they always like prevent the military from blowing it up at exactly the wrong moment. Even if the movie's on their side, they're kind of getting in the way of like the action people want to see. And for whatever reason, even though they've got that character, that never happens. And even when like Matthew Broderick is sort of left out on his own by the military, all he wants to do is blow up those eggs. Yeah. Like he's not even conflicted about it. Um, and then, yeah, it's an existential threat. Like we can't have, you know, uh, 
hundreds of giant monsters that reproduce asexually and lay 20 eggs at a time and the eggs hatch within hours that that that's that, that that's an actual danger we should probably keep you know the population of that animal under check um right so like i i understand that but they don't even really articulate that which probably would have been a good idea but anyway back to the very thin plot they think godzilla has been destroyed it's not but they think it's been destroyed they've they've hit it with some torpedoes and it's kind of floating and they haven't found the body so it's, it's alive uh meanwhile matthew broderick is saying hey i think it's laid some eggs and we got to find those eggs and unfortunately maria patillo who wants to be a reporter and has been kind of pushed around so much that she's like willing to do anything to get a big break she runs into her ex-boyfriend she betrays his trust she steals top secret material and it uh-huh. ends up on the news and everyone looks at matthew broderick it's like well you're fired and honestly right. yeah he should be fired you're not wrong he shouldn't have been talking to anybody about this let alone someone who happens to be a reporter um but that doesn't mean he's wrong about the nesting thing and they act like it does like, well, he talked to a reporter, so we're not going to look for Godzilla's eggs. Those probably don't exist. He's literally been right about everything the entire movie. Why not check? Mm. It makes uh, no sense. I've seen that in a lot of movies. Like, a bad guy will see a good guy getting away. It's like, ah, oh, let him run. He's no threat. When really, like, that character has been nothing but trouble for the villain throughout the whole movie. It's like, yeah. no, you can you can shoot that guy. Yeah, he, he's, he's your enemy. <laughs> Remember, uh, remember in the beginning of Pompeii, Paul Thomas Anderson's Pompeii. Um, Kiefer How could I forget? Kiefer Sutherland plays a Roman general, and he like storms into like a small town uh, and kills everyone except one young boy. And he, he, it's like it's like he decided today. Today I'm going to make a Conan. Yeah, like yeah. this. This is definitely <laughs> going to backfire on me real hard in twenty years. I'm looking forward to this backfiring on me. <laughs> ah. Unfortunately, he then gets uh, killed by fire at his back because it's Pompeii. Um, anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not laughing at that one. I'm pa- sorry. <laughs> pause for laughter and we move on. Uh, Matthew Broderick is then recruited by Jean Renault. And by the way, this was like a good time for Jean Renault. He was in the process of supplanting Gerard Depardieu as the one French actor Americans know. <laughs> Cause he'd, he'd been in the professional. Uh, he had He's been in mission in, impossible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mission impossible. And honestly, good actor. I really like Jean Renault. Um, so, and he's, he's having fun here. It's clearly he's having a good time. Uh, he takes he, he hijacks Matthew Broderick's taxi, takes him to a mysterious location, and says, uh, "Yeah, we're we're French, um, and uh, we're here to kill Godzilla for you, uh, because this movie has a weird attitude about governments where America isn't responsible for creating Godzilla in this universe, but it is completely ineffectual militarily, whereas France is responsible for creating Godzilla, but they're also incredibly capable." And I don't know more so I'm, than the Americans. I, I, I appreciate no idea what your that. Is. I, I kind of appreciate the anti-American sentiment in a movie like this, because yeah. first of all, it's not made by an American. Roland Emmerich is German. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, 
sure, shit on us. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good joke that they have where uh, they, they've got all these crates full of like explosives and uh, giant guns. And Nick Dottopoulos says, how did you get all this stuff into America? And they said, it's America. We bought it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love Which it. is a good, that's a good line, actually. There's a cute thing. Yeah. Um, so they're all going to dress up as American soldiers, sneak in past the military lines. Uh, they're going to go search in Madison Square Gardens. There's one scene I remember, and it's a stupid scene, but I remember it, where they're going through a military checkpoint, and the French guys have to act American. And oh, and they give them gum. Yeah, they they're say like if chewing you, if, gum. If you chew gum, it makes you look more American. And here's the yeah, thing, yeah. kinda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow that actually does kind of work it's like a quick shorthand because i've never seen at least in a movie like a swarthy european type chewing bubble gum that's yeah yeah i've never seen that so like it just it kind of works actually i remember thinking to myself i mean yeah a little um they go to Madison Square oh, yeah, Garden we to did, find we the, didn't... the eggs. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah and and yeah, they they search underneath Madison Square Garden, and wouldn't you know it, there are all the eggs, and they yeah, there's hundred, hundreds of Godzilla eggs. Yeah, and um, Maria Patillo and Hank Azaria are there too because they're trying to redeem themselves because they betrayed Matthew Broderick. Right, right, right. Because they they they're they're good at heart, but they made a mistake. Yeah. Uh, we didn't mention uh, Mayor Ebert, <laughs> and. Uh, and, and his sniveling assistant, Gene, uh, I, I'm guessing this was sort of a, I mean, it was cl- clearly a dig at uh, Siskel and Ebert, but I'm wondering if this sure. was in response to, like, negative reviews for Independence Day? Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure what their particular beef was with uh, Siskel and Ebert. It, it, they, were, they were the most famous critics in the world, still probably are. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, there was a, a, a mini trend here, and I feel like there's another movie I'm not thinking of where uh, filmmakers would poke fun at specific critics by like naming mm-hmm. villains after them. Like the villain in Galaxy Quest is named after Andrew Saris. Uh, That's right. The uh, two-headed the, monster, the creature, the two- Willow. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the two-headed dragon in in Willow is called Eber Sisk. And indeed, the general with, like, the cool skull helmet in Willow is General Kale, named after Pauline Kale. (laughs) Uh, So, but those were fun villain characters. These are sniffling sidekick characters who have no impact on the plot. Well, and, and I remember when when the movie came out, uh, Siskel and Ebert reviewed it on their show, and uh, they said, you know, okay, you've named some characters after us, but you didn't have Godzilla step on us? Yeah. Like... Why? Why did you do that if you're not going to do something vicious to like? They yeah. even objected to the use of their names. And I, I, in Roger Ebert's written review, he said uh, it was such an honor to have a character in this horrible Godzilla movie that I gave a very bad review to, named after me. My next request is that my reviews are read in hushed tones in a circle, like in an Ingmar Bergman movie. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> like, of course, he's joking, but yeah. I would love it. Can, can you imagine if someone like made a movie and there are like two characters named Bibbs and Whitney off to the side who just get like eaten by a pack of werewolves and have like one line? Oh, I would, I would be, you know, un, unbelievably honored. Somehow if they're someone just like, thought to do that. Where it's just like, oh, I don't know about these werewolves, man. I don't know if that fits our ovra. 
think we then when all of a sudden we take a big drink because we're like our characters are like cartoon hobos and then we just start eating by worlds. why are we hobos i don't know i don't know i just thought it'd be fun like you know there's it's like um in uh coming to america when they walk past like the villains from trading places who are now like living on the street oh, yeah, yeah you know like that kind of like a quick cameo game i don't know that'd be funny i know some people <laughs> okay. who've had like little characters and things named after them and it just seems like yeah that, that that's probably a, a, a very flattering you know yeah and, yeah. and honestly if i were siskel and Avery, i would be like I, I i would i would take it in stride i would oh, be like yeah. oh, i mean yeah, they're, that, they're, that's that's adorable fair enough kind of i get to be played by, play by oscar nominee michael lerner who plays Mayor Ebert. Oh, that's Ebert. right. He play, played Mayor Ebert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is not bad casting, actually, mm. if they were doing, like, a TV movie of, like, you know, the Siskel and Ebert story. Casting Michael Lerner as Roger Ebert is not the worst casting you could do. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah. They, yeah, they have nothing to do with anything. It, it all culminates with Gene quitting at the end of the movie and giving Ebert a thumbs down. <gasps> How witty. Yeah. Um, God, this movie sucks so it's, bad. There's a lot uh, of not good stuff in this movie. No, so, uh, but yeah, to get back to Madison Square Garden, the, the French have taken uh, Matthew Broderick under there, and they found hundreds and hundreds of Godzilla eggs, and wouldn't you know it, they hatch, yeah. and uh, they all run around... And yes, people have compared the uh, baby Godzillas to the Velociraptors from Jurassic Park, which came out about five years before this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, and and it, it's all cartoon logic. They're running around Madison Square Garden. They're hiding behind uh, like posts while these dinosaur monsters are chasing mm. after them. The dinosaurs slip on gumballs like they're in Tom and Jerry. Oh, yeah. uh, There's a scene where they have to get through a whole room of them, and it's like, how do we? I, it, I feel like it's a scene out of that uh, web series pitch meeting. Like, well, it's going to be hard to get through across a whole room full of mini Godzillas. No, it's actually going to be super easy, barely an inconvenience. It turns out the whole room is full of chandeliers. So we're just going to shoot down a <laughs> chandelier every five feet, and it's going to cause them to scatter, and then we just walk outside. Th- that was a problem that they solved in the script. That was their solution. <laughs> they couldn't come up with a better idea than that. Brutal. Um Oh gosh, I'm, I'm getting a headache. We got We got to wrap this okay, up. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll make this talk about this damn movie. I'll anymore. make this as quick as they can. They call in an airstrike yeah. to Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden blows up, but wouldn't you know it? After all of its babies have died, Godzilla has is started to feel better, and it wakes up from its nap, and it says, "All right, kids, where are we? <gasps> you." There's a, there was this one moment earlier, which was almost like this enchanting John Williamsy moment where Godzilla and Matthew Broderick kind of regard each other and there's no threat. Yeah, yeah. But now Matthew Broderick has killed all of its eggs and it's pissed and it's chasing them around New York and there's a car chase with them. And now all of a sudden, you know, New York as a labyrinth makes sense because the car can't fly over the buildings. So now mm. that that kind of works, but they're they're chasing it down. There's a bit where Godzilla puts the cab in its mouth and crunches it, and then Nick Tatopoulos grabs a live electrical wire, which he has somehow, and jabs it up how. into Godzilla's yeah, yeah. gums. And Godzilla's like, "Well, that's unpleasant," and he opens his mouth. And then the car. I have been in fender benders. Like, literally, like, low-impact fender benders that bent the frame of a car enough that it couldn't drive right. This uh-huh. car 
looks like it's been pancaked and it's still driving fine. <laughs> it drives well, away. Well, I guess guess get the make and model of that car. You that's the next one you want to buy. They uh they drive Yeah, right. That's product placement they actually don't have, which is ironic. They drive uh they they lure Godzilla onto the Brooklyn Bridge. Brooklyn Bridge is a suspension bridge. The animal gets caught in the wires. They shoot mm. it a bunch of times. And then it dies slowly, looking into Matthew Broderick's pathetic eyes as he goes, Oh, wait. <laughs> this actually kind of sucks. Twas beauty killed the beast. And then everyone celebrates. Matthew Broderick's like, I, I'm, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I gave my exclusive news rights to this one reporter. And I'm like, Well, that's a conflict of interest. You shouldn't let her do the story. And then. We, we And then it's the ending of the Super Mario Brothers animated movie where the camera pans down and it turns out they missed one egg. Yeah. Oh, no. And then the cycle will start again and Godzilla 2 never came. Nope. Nope. We will never know. I, I like to think that when Super Mario Brothers the movie, when they pan down to that egg, that's mm-hmm. not a Yoshi egg. <laughs> that's this egg. <laughs> Somehow oh, we missed they... it. It's just this Godzilla <laughs> The next movie will be Super Mario versus Godzilla. That, that, that'll that be a, a twist. I mean, I'd pay to see that. <laughs> I'm not above that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it'd be more interesting than just more Mario mayhem, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, Godzilla 98. It, it's not as painful as I remembered it being. Like, it's not like no, it, it's, the it's hardest watch. It's long. It's way too it, long. It, it's way too the, long. Uh, I, I, I even remember, I saw this in theaters when it came out. I was in college when this movie came out. And, um, I remember that moment, and I'm not sure if if other people get this moment when they're watching like big blockbusters, when you think, oh, it would be it would be fine if it ends here, and then there's like one extra scene, and you're like, oh no, this isn't mm-hmm. one extra scene. This is another thirty minutes of film. Yeah, like yeah. I, I know you're setting up like another gigantic climax that I just don't have the patience for. So you just kind of wait through the last thirty minutes, even though that's the most action heavy portion of it. It's when yeah. like all of the action is supposed to climb kind of culminate. Um, I, re- I remember having that moment when I was, uh, I think I can't remember when it was. I think it was when he was doing the pregnancy test. He's like, Oh, and he's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, it might've been after that. I think it was after, I think it was when Jean Renault showed up. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. And we're going to sneak you into Madison square garden. It's like, no, 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 we, 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 we have it. We had it. We were done. We could wrap this up so much. We could wrap this up so much faster. We We don't need to do this anymore. Oh, no. And then, and then they destroy Madison Square Garden and you're like, oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, we got through that and now it's resolved and all right, good, good game, everybody. And then Godzilla shows up. No! No! Why? You never want to be mad that there's more movies. Right? (laughs) There have been moments where I haven't been mad, but I have felt like I thought this was over. Like, I had that with a movie I love, The Last Jedi, where it has that big climax where Captain Phasma gets killed and, like, Rey uh turns down kylo ren and uh uh, that's another movie that goes on too long and i do like that movie but yeah yeah, but like and then admiral holo does that whole thing and it's a huge climax and then we're good right and then there's still like another 30 40 minutes on that salt planet and i'm not gonna lie i like all that stuff i think luke skywalker doing the force projection bit is like the coolest jedi thing anyone's ever put in the movie i'm glad it's there but the movie had to win me back for a few minutes because I was ready to like just call it a day because the movie's already quite long. 
Yeah. That's an example where I wasn't mad at it, but I did feel like the pacing was a weird choice. Here, I'm mad at it. I want the movie to be <laughs> over now, please. Thank you. Weird choices. Weird yeah. choices. Um, I mean, to- Toho was right to to take it back. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you don't get... No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give us our toys back. You're, yeah. you're done. You're done, America. They were smart to, to tell them when they, when they said, hey, we're going to take Godzilla in a totally different stylistic direction. They were smart to wash their hands and yeah. just say, you yeah. know what? You know what? You're not even tarnishing the brand. You're tarnishing your version's brand. Well, so and, and to- go for Toho it. has actually always been pretty. It, I guess you could call it being diplomatic in that regard. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you know what? We we're not outraged. We're not full of hate. We don't hate anything that that America did, but it's not ours. Yeah. We don't we don't care about that. It's just something that they did. Mm-hmm. We lent them their our name, but this is just something like a little a cute little side project we decided to let them do. Uh it's a little insulting to the filmmakers who <laughs> thought they were doing something kind of canonical. Right. But uh but I think it was really wise of of Toho at the very least yeah. to take that approach. Well, just the 90s were a weird time for blockbusters and there wasn't this um the way that we think about setting up movie franchises now, and obviously it's been studios in the ass as many times as it has worked, if not more, The Mummy, The Dark Universe, enough said. But the way that movie studios are thinking in terms of we're, we're hoping that we will make more movies, mm. we are going to create a framework in which that makes sense we are going to sort of introduce things that make you want to see more and i think that when we get to the legendary monster verse american movies with godzilla kong skull island and then you know as those movies interconnect Mm. um i think that is they're not great movies but i do think that that is a better way of taking the iconography of godzilla and bringing it into the American storytelling paradigm in a way that still feels like Godzilla, but definitely feels like the American Godzilla. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty consistently amusing approach. Whereas this one, American Godzilla in the extremely crass product placement, blockbuster uh, mentality of the nineties just comes across as and, and there are bad Godzilla movies we've t- we've seen before maybe even some that are technically worse than the one we're talking about now oh that this is by no means the worst Godzilla yeah. movie yeah but this is the one that just feels here's the thing it's expensive it took a lot of effort it's clearly a huge production and yet somehow it feels like one of the laziest yeah yeah well and that that just I'll I'll repeat what I said it's it's yeah full of ambition and full of money and effort and has no inspiration. There's no wit or creativity at all. And that's really, really frustrating. The one idea they had, the one thing that was, I guess they had two. One was a bunch of baby Godzillas are like velociraptors, which honestly is not the worst idea I've ever heard. It's kind of obvious and trite coming right on the hills of Jurassic Park, but it's not like the Godzilla movies haven't tried to like, latch on to whatever's in the zeitgeist right now like one year after the movie came out 
you know, one year after a Godzilla movie lost at the box office to Back to the Future Part 2, they put out a Godzilla movie with time travel in it. It's always mm. been a little shameless. Um, but yeah, this one just... I forget where I was going with that. This is not a... This doesn't even have that kind of whirlwind passionate zeal this feels like a kind of weird calculation the only thing that they really had going for this was we're going to treat godzilla like an animal which later toho movies would do shin godzilla would treat godzilla like an animal and godzilla minus one definitely would but they had other stuff to back it up and the very americanized roland emmerich junk it's not even the good version of that junk yeah, like the characters yeah. in Independence Day are not particularly well written, but they're more distinct. They have more interesting interactions with each other. And they're the the stories that they have are more melodramatic. It's like Will Smith is like trying to find his wife and son because he doesn't know if they're alive. So when he finds them again, it's schmaltzy, but you at least go, Oh, that's a relief. You know, good. You found them again. Yeah, yeah okay. Here it's like, oh no. Will these people who dated in college decide to date again? <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring. If you're going to do these like one note characters, they, the note needs to be more dramatic than that. Anyway. No, agreed. Totally yeah. agreed. Yeah. Anyway. It's, it's, um, yeah, the, the the characters are. I think maybe some of the filmmakers watched some of those earlier Godzilla movies that always had like kind of a square jawed uh, hero character uh, sort of floating in the background, some sort of pilot character usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as many of those. Not as a terribly I thought, interesting but, character. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know we we usually focused in on like maybe the kids or a psychic character or a mm-hmm. comic relief character. Those were the one, more interesting ones. Yeah, the hero maybe flew the plane, but we didn't give a damn about him. And I think maybe some of uh, the makers of this Godzilla watched those movies and thought, aha, this is why mm. these movies are successful. That pilot guy. Let's have that guy be the hero, but also be the comic relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say this we, right now. And that's a, that's a really unusual character choice to have your main character also be the comedy relief character. Yeah, but here's the thing. Every character is a comedy relief character in this movie. Yeah, everyone is a sitcom character who who woke up today. It's it's like Thursdays on on NBC in the '90s were where they put all of the biggest sitcoms. It was yeah. Seinfeld, Mad About You, Friends, and there was kind of a revolving door of the other one. It was usually like News Radio, of Veronica's Closet, but whatever. It was at least those three, and those things were juggernauts. Mm-hmm. Imagine if all of those characters woke up, looked out their window, and Godzilla was there. That's this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's which, which you know that that'd be a fun approach to like a super uh, like a a, a gigantic uh, monster satire. Like yeah. if you're gonna make a spoof movie, that that's a fine yeah. premise. But that's a yeah, great that spec doesn't work script. If you're trying to do the real thing. That's a great spec. So one thing you do when you're trying to like break into television is. You write a script of a show that is currently popular and already exists uh, to prove that mm. you can write in someone else's style. Like, I, yeah. I'm not just a write. I, I can I can write in my own style, sure, but I can also write, you know, a, a killer episode of Parenthood, or I could write a really great Law and Order. You know, like I I'm malleable. I can work with the team. And some of the more legendary specs were the ones that were just like it's 
a script you'd want to see, but an episode we'd never make. Yeah, and yeah. to any, if any, oh my god, if anyone wrote a spec script and it was even halfway good for any of the must see TV sitcoms, where it's like <laughs> Friends, the one with Godzilla, boom, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's a great. I you can imagine how that's gonna go too. Like it's gonna yeah. be, that's a because here's the thing. Ross was a paleontologist. He'll finally have something to do. Wait, Ross was a paleontologist. That was the. It was a paleontologist. It never well, I, came I up. I, I haven't seen a lot of friends, so I, I don't know a lot about the show. He, it never, he, he was a pale, it, it came up like once in the entire oh, series. It was ridiculous. Anyway, I digress. Um. Not a good movie. Moving on. Next time on uh, Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, uh, we're going back to Thank Mothra, It's Friday, because it's the conclusion of the Rebirth of Mothra trilogy. Yay. Yay. And then we're going to get to the Millennium Era, which is very exciting, because I've seen none of these movies. Okay. Yeah, I've, so I've, I've, I've seen fun. them all, but it's been a second, so yeah, I'm eager yeah. to get back and revisit some of these. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's a thrill. So um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, feel free to send us an email if there's anything you want to talk about where do you also have memories of this marketing campaign because let's be honest here that's the most interesting part uh, send us an email our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net Whitney what is our P.O. Box yeah send us a physical letter to the critically acclaimed network P.O. Box 641565 Los Angeles California 90064 yeah we're on social media at critical acclaim I'm at William Bibiani I'm at Whitney Seibold uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where you get all of our new episodes ad free and you get new episodes of Thank Godzilla. It's Friday one week early. So if you're listening to this episode on the main feed, you can already listen to Rebirth of Mothra Part 3 on the Patreon. And we have a lot of exclusive shows as well, depending on what tier you're on. So uh, thank you to everyone who is a patron. Without the patrons, we couldn't do the show. That's just the, the, the flat-out reality of it. And mm. it means a lot to us that you want to support the show, and we hope you're enjoying uh, the extra material that we provide. Because uh, we love making those Patreon shows as much as we make enjoy the, the ones on the main feed. So, thank you. Um, all right. That's it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Rawr. Rawr. <laughs>